Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the University Application Guide podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ryan Eller. And today, I kind of already, so soon into the second episode of the podcast, I'm kind of going off the beaten path from university admissions topics into a more kind of a personal development topic where I talked about my professional history and where I went kind of during and after college and how I was able to turn that into a, a relatively decent professional salary. I know for many of my students, here at Cal State Monterey Bay, the, the students that I'm teaching, they're concerned about kind of where their career is going to go, how they're going to do financially after they complete their undergraduate degree. And so I was interested in kind of making a, a visual lecture they could watch before we have a discussion later in the fall about their ultimate career plans. And I thought maybe it might be useful to others who are getting ready to graduate or just trying to see kind of how an early career progresses into maybe more of a mid-level career. So I hope you find this episode useful. And uh, Hello, everyone. my name is Ryan Eller, and I'm a higher education professional, though I also do teach um, as a lecturer in the School of Computing and Design at a uh, small CSU. And a common topic that comes up with my students, given that I teach some professional seminar classes, is really where is my career going to go in terms of salary? Naturally, people go to college because they want to earn money. I, there's certainly, I'm sure there's a love of education in there too for some people, but the reality is we get educated or we receive training or do any of those types of things to ultimately make more money. And there's nothing uh, to be kind of shamed on that front for. I think that's totally reasonable, but naturally a lot of times with the students that I work with, they kind of ask me what my career pathway was. And while I would say that was relatively straightforward, I think for somebody who did want to work in education, I knew even at 18 that I wanted to work in higher ed. I think the pathway wasn't necessarily straight to get a degree and then get job in exact field. And so I wanted to record this video a little bit for my students, but then thought it might be useful for those of you on YouTube in general, just watching about uh, watching videos about career progression and things of that nature and, and maybe what you could be doing. So just a, a little bit kind of about me and I put it into an infographic here, you know, naturally like many people, I started off as just a standard college student. I got a degree in humanities, most specifically a degree in human communication, which I'm sure most people have no idea what that even means. But if you kind of want to think about it as a combination of an English undergraduate degree with a little bit of history, a little bit of cultural studies, ethnic studies, all kind of wrapped into one cohesive whole, that's essentially what that degree was. And I completed that, that at a CSU between 2008 and 2012, right after I graduated high school. Now, during that time to try to pick up some work experience, because I didn't really work at all in high school, I worked just a little bit in the summer leading up to my undergraduate degree. I worked as a, a movie theater attendant. And so I needed, I knew I would need to pick up some education and I knew I wanted to work in higher ed. So I just kind of wanted to, to throw myself out there. And so I started working as a resident advisor on campus as a way to, to get some free room and board, but also pick up some work experience. And I actually did that throughout the entirety of my undergraduate career. But during that time as I was an undergraduate, I also worked as a student assistant in multiple departments, basically just doing kind of grunt labor, answering emails, picking up the phone, you know, greeting people as they walked in the, the building wherever I was working at, nothing incredibly exciting. And then lastly, I worked as a basketball coach for a couple different local organizations and for a local high school. But if you kind of realize 2008 to 2012, I had no major internship. Uh, I didn't, wasn't really going out in the summers doing 
crazy awesome things. Really, when I graduated uh, college, excuse me, the most exciting thing on my resume was the four years that I had spent as a resident advisor. Now, I was lucky in that our school had a master's degree that I was interested in, and so I ultimately ended up going to obtain that master's degree between 2012 after I graduated through 2014. Uh, and that allowed me to continue to work on campus, continue to be a, a resident advisor. And during that time, I was trying to find a way to take the experience that I was getting at the college that I was working at and turn that into some type of feasible uh, education experience. During this time frame, I started to think, well, maybe instead of directly going into higher ed after I complete my master's degree, maybe I'll go teach English overseas in Korea or China. My, my now wife is Chinese. So there was kind of some interest on that front in terms of uh, pursuing that as a career pathway. So I began teaching online um, as a way just to pick up some experience as a tutor and just as a, a general English instructor. Uh, and then in 2014, I ended up getting hired in my first professional job at a uh, private tutoring center in the uh, Monterey County area. I work for a small company that's kind of throughout the state, has various learning centers there and was kind of a, a lead tutor, if you will. And so I would tutor people, but then also uh, train other tutors on how to do the tutoring through our particular methodology. So at that time, from 2012 to 2014, if you took in my resident advising work, it will, I think if we even went back to 08 and 012, through 012, excuse me, as a resident advisor and as a coach, I was probably making somewhere between stipend and actual money, about $15,000 per year. So I was basically covering my living costs and having a little bit of extra spending money. Uh, through 2012 to 2014, as I was doing initially just the tutoring work on top of being a resident advisor and basketball coach, I was probably making in the neighborhood of, you know, 15, 16, maybe even up to $18,000 a year, but not a lot of money. And at this point, you know, I was in my mid twenties. Uh, but once I got hired into this first professional job that I had, it was a $16 uh, per hour job. I was really thrilled about that at the time. You know, when I did the math on it, it was like, wow, I could make, you know, $30,000 a year um, with this job. So I was all super excited about it and I was thrilled. Well, unfortunately, near the end of that year in 2014, I found out that that particular location was closing. And so I could either move to a different location in the company or I could pick up a different job in the company. Um, it neither really seemed incredibly feasible at the time. So I was either looking at basically being unemployed uh, with just being able to, to coach basketball because at this point I had moved and graduated from um, the university that I was working at. So I didn't have free housing anymore. I had just bought a condo with my now wife. And so, you know, it was a little bit up in the air about where my career was going to go. Well, in 2014, I was luckily, very lucky to be hired within about two weeks of the center closing as a uh, private admissions consultant for a company up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that was the first time that I was hired into a job where I made $50,000 a year. And so I worked in that position for roughly about a year, um, was just hating the commute. It was really kind of impacting my ability to, to spend time with my friends, spend time with my wife. Um, and so I was trying to, to find a way to finally make it into higher ed because that's where I knew I wanted to be. And I was trying to take all these different pathways to get there um, and ultimately got lucky in that an application I had submitted at about the same time as the application to the admissions consulting company that I was working for, it had gotten picked up. And so about nine months after I'd submitted that application, I received a phone call 
about that job and that, you know, I should come in an interview for it at the university that I graduated from. So I interviewed, got also, I feel a little fortunate and got that position, but I actually had to take a step back salary rise to take that job. It was hired in at roughly about $38,000 per year. Um, and as I was getting ready to tell the company that I was currently working for that I would be leaving, they asked, well, why don't you stick with us part-time? You can drive up sometimes in the evening or come up on the weekends or um, you know, do some work over the phone, things of that nature. And so I was able to keep my old job, but work more remotely for them while also taking this new job. And it was the first time that I kind of realized like, wow, it is feasible to work a couple of jobs at once. Cause you hear people talking about, well, I always have some type of side hustle, right? And I, I never thought that was something you could really do well if you had a, a full-time job and then tried to add something on top of that. I just never, never viewed that as something that you should really try to do or would want to do unless you really had to do it. But I was lucky in that I had built up a good cachet at that previous company. They really believed in me and they thought I was of value to keep on board. So I was able to take in two salaries at once and I effectively almost doubled my salary overnight by taking this new job at the university while still working in the previous job. Now, I didn't know at the time that they were going to move me from a W-2 to 1099 employee that had major tax implications, um, but it was an opportunity there to, to really bump up my salary. So at that point, I was probably, I shouldn't say that I was necessarily making the full 50K there because they were kind of charging, having me bill them hours. And so, I, you know, there'd be some weeks where I might work 20 hours and the next week I might work 40 but realistically, I was probably making in the neighborhood of about seventy to $80,000 a year during that time frame. Within the same year of 2015, I just got lucky. The university needed me in a different department. And so I ended up transferring departments to make a little bit more money. Uh, also get to work in uh, work for a degree program that I had graduated from. So that point allowed me to make a little bit more salary, but it, it also forced me to probably cut down a little bit on the hours that I was working at my previous company. And so I would say that I was making about $75,000 a year there. But if you see a consistent theme through 2012 through 2015, a lot of movement in my career, I had to constantly be open to new opportunities. I also had to really be able to take on new jobs all the time. So I was constantly having to learn new things versus really establishing my roots within one department and one company. The most consistent thing that I was doing from 2014 through really even 2017 was continuing to work at the, that first admissions consulting job that I picked up, even though now I was doing it more on a part-time basis. That was the longest kind of tenure outside of being a resident advisor that I had at any given place. Well, luckily, by working, continuing to work in that department that I worked for, which was uh, the School of Computing and Design at the university that I still work at now, um, I was asked to, to add teaching into my overall responsibilities. And so I began teaching roughly about four classes per academic year at that university. But that meant now that I was working three simultaneous jobs. I was teaching uh, part-time, probably about 10 to 15 hours a week, working a 40-hour-per-week staff job for the university as kind of a, a student advisor. And then I was still working at the private admissions consulting firm with students, you know, either through Zoom or by the phone or going up to Palo Alto or San Jose uh, two to three times a week. And so most days in 2016, I shouldn't say most days, but well, actually, yes, most days and most weeks, I was working six to even sometimes seven days a week consistently. 
uh, during this time frame. But I was making, it was hard to not do this because I was making a lot of money. You know, I had a, a year basically where I cleared about $92,000 in 2016 because I was really willing to kind of put in the hustle, if you will. And then 2017 really through to now, I only do my two roles at the university through uh, teaching and also through uh, my student advisor role because I ended up getting accepted into a doctoral degree, which I just recently completed in education. And um, my wife ultimately and I decided to, to have a child. And so it just, money wasn't as important then because I had luckily saved up some money through these years of working multiple positions at once. Uh, but it was pretty intense. And recently I did get an offer um, from a, a big tech company up in the, the Silicon Valley area to go work for them, offered at roughly about $86,000, $87,000 per year salary, 5% bonus, some equity in the company. I ultimately declined it because now being a, a father, I, I just wanted to have more time with my children. But I was able to turn all of this experience I wanted to see what I was worth basically on the open market. So I interviewed with them and saw that I could be worth a pretty decent salary now. And if you think about it, really 2014 to 2019, I have basically, you know, five to six years of professional experience. And somebody might say, well, yeah, that's, that's befitting of a $90,000 a year salary. Well, I think anybody who works in education would know that's, that's not always the case. So, you know, what I'm trying to show through this work experience and really through this infographic is that it's totally feasible. It's just the reality is that I think, especially in a lot of fields, because most of us don't work in the STEM fields, if you're not in a STEM field, you're going to be having to probably do a lot of hustling around to make this type of reality happen. And then by picking up all of these different experiences, then you can hopefully try to tailor it down into one specific job. Um, ultimately now, you know, I'm, I'm working, and making probably right around $70,000 a year with a great benefits package because I work for, you know, essentially the state of California. So for me, the the value of my time is more beneficial than to salary. Um, but it's just something to keep in mind is if you see a consistent theme through this, it's being open to new opportunities, being willing to jump at a new opportunity ASAP. And sometimes that means giving up something that may very well be stable just to go get something. Now, luckily, I'm in a very stable job, but um, that might not always be the case for everybody's fields if we try to think more generally. And with generality in mind, you know, some tips that I can give, going right back to it, you know, job hopping early, especially in your probably early 20s to mid 20s, it's the easiest way to continuously make bigger percentage jumps in terms of salary. You know, loyalty is great, but the reality is unless you're in a company that has a very clear plan that will give you some type of raise package or salary increase package each consecutive year, you're going to make more money by jumping ship. Um, now, obviously there's probably some places like, for example, for me working for the state of California, it's more beneficial to stay long-term because you're building up a, an overall pension plan that will pay off in the long run when you retire. You know, similarly, let's say you're, you're working in the Silicon Valley area and you get a job at Google or Facebook, it might be more beneficial to stay at that type of company where, you know, their growth is exponential. And so there will be tons of opportunities. So there's not always a perfect reason to job hop, but if you're, if you're willing to do it early, it will probably pay dividends so long as you're not doing it too aggressively. You know, I'd say probably in the neighborhood of as long as it's eight months to a year, you can probably get away with it, but eventually it would catch up with you if you just continue to do it all the time. This might be a no-brainer, um, but 
naturally getting some form of education. As I continue to get education, my opportunities just grew and grew and grew. And I know not everybody is in the in the place to maybe afford education or even want to get education. Um, but and that's why I say some form, because even if you want to go get a trade degree or a certificate in something or go to a coding boot camp, you know, any form of education that you can put on your resume, it's going to show, you know, some level of desire to grow as a professional, uh, the also the willingness to invest your own time and resources into your own development. That means something to people when they're hiring. You know, I used to do some hiring at the places that I worked at. And I was always thrilled to see a person who's willing, even if it's not to go get a formal degree slash education, willing to go out and get some form of training to increase their skills, uh, whether that was being part of a professional organization or gosh, just, you know, going to weekly career meetups, you know, any type of thing that can show some development desire, it's going to pay off in the long run. People are going to see that and they're going to value that. To me, I think, the other piece too, and this is something that I, I think I saw more from my friends than myself, is that one of the things that I think I did well in my overall career pathway is that I always tried to look at jobs that had some type of connection to the previous job. So that way, when it, even if I didn't have it, the exact skill sets, so for example, when I went from being a tutor to being a college admissions advisor for that private company, I had never done that work before. But I had had experience working with students. I had had experience, experience mentoring, mentoring students, um, teaching students, all types of things like that, which would still be relevant to some of the things that I would be doing in that new job. So I always had a connection from the previous job to the new job. And even if it wasn't distinct in the job application itself, it would be distinct somewhere in my resume or cover letter. I tried to make that connection very, very clear, most often in the cover letter and in the initial phone interview. I think this is something that you know also helped me a lot was having a LinkedIn profile so that people could see the connection between time and jobs, the skills that I was picking up at certain jobs. My LinkedIn for a while, they're probably just like a standard job hopper LinkedIn because they were a bunch of short timeframes. Whereas now, you know, I've built up some consistency in where I've worked. And so in the past few positions that I've worked in, I've worked in them for years versus months. Um, but I think having that LinkedIn that's very clear, has skill sets, you can have people write recommendations for you. It's a great way to connect to people. I've been contacted through headhunters on LinkedIn. Luckily, I'm in a position now where I'm not looking for a job, so I can kind of de you know, decline those offers. But people contact me all the time on LinkedIn. So having that connection is really, having that ability to be connected with, I think is, you can't put a value on that. Obviously, you know what you'll also see in my story is, that ability to take a step back, to take a couple steps forward. So I knew, for example, when I was working at the admissions consulting firm that I was working for, there was only so much growth I could have. You know, at that company, basically an admissions consultant would be ultimately promoted maybe into a senior consultant and then maybe a lead consultant. There was only so far you could go. There was maybe two or three steps. And that was something that probably within four to five years, you would reach kind of that maximum target. And then what would you do? You'd kind of hit that artificial ceiling within the company. So I knew for me that once again, A, I wanted to work in higher ed, but in higher ed, there's a lot more opportunity. And so I would be able to always be able to branch out to different departments here on campus or at other campuses if I wanted to. And so taking that initial step back into a, a position that didn't pay as much, even if I wouldn't have been able to stay at that company concurrent with the new job, 
I would have been making the right decision because ultimately there was more opportunity at the university that I would be working at than at that company that I was working for, even though it was a great company, there was only so far I could go, right? So taking that step back in salary to know that in the long term I could make more and also build towards my pension and all of those different things, it was beneficial to make that move at the time. I just lucked out that they were willing to also work with me and keep me on board through a more remote status. Um, also, you know, really you want to think about things maybe two to three years ahead of, at any given time. So I always knew higher ed was on my pathway. And so I was willing to take opportunities that would get me to that place, you know? And so sometimes, you know, giving up a place that really, really wants you to be there. Sometimes you maybe have to give it up to get to your end goal or to take on a salary that you really want. I mean, obviously if you're in a job that you're super comfortable with, I think there's, you can't put a value on that. And so it might not be worth using that to jump to a certain salary. But if you are thinking two to three years ahead, you can sometimes map out, okay, well, somebody in this type of role from my field generally is hitting this type of objective by this time frame, And so this is what I really should be doing. So like, for example, with me working in higher education, I know that in the long term, the most successful people in my field have a doctorate degree. And so I knew, okay, well, by the end of my 20s, I'm going to have a doctorate degree. And by my mid-20s, I'm going to have a master's degree. And I want to have this type of work experience, or I at least want to be at this location, this type of job, for example, a university job by X year. Always having those loose goals, those loose kind of roadmap to follow, super helpful for me. And it, it made me know in certain circumstances that I was making the right decision. Even, for example, declining this new job offer that I had gotten from a really strong company in the field of education. I knew still it wasn't the best long-term choice for me um, because really, if I want to stay in higher ed, the best thing I could be doing would be working directly in the field of higher education versus you know fields that are kind of on the periphery of it. Um, naturally, I think a great thing people can do is build a resume or cover letter that is interchangeable. Uh, it's, and it's interchangeable for jobs within your field. I still use the same resume and cover letter template that I used when I was starting my career off in 2014. And all I do is just add things and subtract things based on new jobs. So even great jobs that I think I feel qualified for, I don't have to spend an insane amount of time applying for them because I have this cover letter and resume that I know that works. And over time, as you're applying for jobs, if you're not getting called backs, you probably know, okay, this part of my resume isn't working or this part of my cover letter is working. You might not know specifics to that, but as you change things, you'll be able to go, okay, now this is working for me. Um, and on my website, I'll, I'll share a, a copy of my resume and cover letters so that you know, maybe you can see what you think of it and, and how you could modify it for your own success. But for me, it's, it's led to a high percentage of callbacks, a high percentage of phone interviews. And because I feel like I've learned to interview well, I many times can turn that phone interview into an on-site interview and, and many times turn the on-site interview into a job offer. Uh, very rarely have I gotten to a place where I've gotten a phone interview and not have gotten a job offer. And that's something that I think because I try to really highly target where I'm applying to, I don't just try to blast out applications. And because I can take my resume and cover letter and make little tweaks to it for each job that I'm applying to, that leads me to get the interview. And since I really work hard on understanding the company that I'm applying for, understanding their goals and objectives, and can really articulate that in the interview, and articulate the, the excitement that I have for that job and the skills I can bring to that job, I think that's always lended me to be successful in getting my next job. So those are some general tips that I have. I just 
you know, I want to make it realistic that, you know, people in my age group, I'm in my late twenties, um, and younger, it's, it's very feasible to go out and make that money. You just might have to, you might have to be willing to give up a fair amount of your time early on. You might have to kind of have a couple side hustles going, but if you put in the work early, you can then get yourself to a comfort zone. So for example, in my case, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I've saved up some good money. I've been able to, you know, as I alluded to before, buy a condo with my wife and, you know, we're comfortable. We don't have to worry so much about finances because I put two to three years in where I was working, you know, upwards of three jobs to really make the money that I felt comfortable with. Now I'm in a, a solo position where I make 70 K well, a combo position, but it's all in one place and it's all under the same boss. So I can get the work done for both of my jobs at my desk at any given time and get all of that work done in 40 to 45 hours a week versus working 70 hours a week to make 90 K that trade off in time to spend with my family and my friends, it's more beneficial than the extra 20,000. But I, I think 90 to hundred K, excuse my, my computers don't have battery there. I think 90 to hundred K is feasible for anyone. You just have to put in the time to go do it. And you, you might have to, you know, do some things that in some cases you may not want to do, such as going on and getting more education and picking up extra skills and really learning to, to be, a good interviewer, it's the best thing that you can do. So as you're working on your career towards these different types of objectives and, and trying to make more money, uh, hopefully some of these general tips and in, in my career pathway helps you to give you a, an idea of, of kind of how earning that type of salary is realistic. So uh, I wish you all the best and uh, take care.